is AA Beyond Belief, a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, welcome to the Friday live stream. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, make yourself at home. Today, we're going to be talking about friendships in sobriety. I uh, was thinking about this before the podcast, and I took some time to think back about my friendships, both uh, present and past, and I found it was actually a pretty good way to measure just how alcohol began to interfere with my life, but also it showed me just how quickly I was able to rebound and enjoy happy and healthy relationships again. And, you know, the friendships I've had since being sober were probably the most significant factor, I think, in keeping me motivated and committed to sobriety. Um, overall, I've been fortunate that I've always had, you know, at least at least one friend anyway. So how did sobriety uh, impact your desire and ability to make friends? Or was it even relevant to you? Uh, what are the pitfalls involved with having friends in AA? What happens if they leave and stop going to meetings? Are you still in touch? Uh, have friends in AA abandoned you? That sounds pretty negative. <laughs> or has the experience always been supportive? Um, you know, how has, how have friendships, uh, in sobriety, uh, impacted you? And how is it different now compared to when you were drinking? Angela, does that sound about right? Is yeah, that what you had in mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that does. I don't so, know why I was coming up with all that negative stuff. <laughs> Well, I, you know, uh, this topic came out of a, a meeting that, that we both uh, were in, a Zoom meeting online, and uh, several people had shared about um, friendship and uh, in um, sobriety, and um, and they were both people who've, who've had, you know, some long-term sobriety and just uh, that, you know, certain friendships um, have been changing and uh, and how, you know, that that feels different and and stuff and so it got me thinking about friendships and um what my friendships look like before and during and now and you know um i thought it'd be a great great topic for discussion i would like to hear how how other people think about it too um if they've considered it so how has it been for you what what was it like um what was your what were your friendships like like when you were growing up and you're and as you got into your drinking and after drinking Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so friendships, uh, you know, I, I think I've, like you said, I've always had friends. Um, I, I had to learn at a pretty young age how to make friends quickly. Um, so I recall um, during my mom's party years when she was uh, still single and, and had um, just, just me, um, she would bring me to um, parties. Uh, this was the seventies. <laughs> and, uh, and oftentimes there wouldn't be any other kids there. So wherever we were at, I would just go door to door, knocking on people's door, asking them if they had kids I could play with. And uh, yeah, and uh, and so, you know, sometimes they did. And then when, when my stepfather came into the picture, um, we moved a lot because he, I've mentioned before, I think that he was uh, rapid cycling bipolar, unmedicated and diagnosed. And, um, and so, yeah, so we moved sometimes um, twice a year, always in the, in the same, you know, like general, you know, valley vicinity thing. But when you're a kid, you don't have, you know, easy access to transportation. (laughs) And so, so yeah, so each time I, that, that became my, my MO would, I just start going around and knocking on people's doors, asking if they had kids I could play with. And, um, and if that didn't work, then I would go to the nearest, um, church and I would start attending that, um, denomination. I didn't care what it was. I never paid attention. It was just church. I thought they were all the same. Um, and, um, and people would feel bad for me and invite me over to play with their kids so that they could save my soul. And, uh, yeah. And so that, that's, you know, so I, I had friendships. I have some friends that, um, that, you know, my, my mom, you know, knew. Um, and so they've been kind of, you know, friends, uh, because our parents were friends. Um, and I had those for a while. Um, and, um, 
Yeah. Um, I think I always thought friends were, were just like a, a one thing. You either were friends or you weren't friends, you know, or somebody, you know, in that kid's dance, you know, that, uh, that, yeah, if I call you a friend, then you're a friend. Um, and, uh, in the, I think somewhere, you know, I don't know that, that I, I thought about it any differently until I got sober. Um, about um, like quality of friendships. Um, and so on my inventory, um, some of that came up because um, I, it came up around boundary issues that, you know, I had all these resentments to people who I thought were my friends and then they ended up doing something that, that uh, hurt me. And it turned out, you know, that I had never set any boundaries or, you know, gave them time to show me who they really were and, you know, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, previous to, um, to recovery, you know, I, I have friends and I still, am friends with some of those people and stuff um but uh i hadn't ever really um, made a connection between you know my behavior and creating friendships or sustaining them or or anything like that none of that was part of the language i used in friendships yeah yeah you know i had something in common with you um i also as a child moved around a lot you know and so i always had that experience of being the new kid there, you know, and, um, and, but I don't think I, you know, I was thinking about it. I don't think that really stopped me from having friends. Um, I mean, I developed some skills through, through being the new person all the time that, you know, I could learn to kind of, you know, fit in, you know, I could kind of, I could kind of, um, scan the environment and figure out what I need to do to kind of fit in with this group or whatever, you know, so, but, you know, when I was looking back on it, I thought my friendships, like in my childhood days, were probably pretty normal and healthy. Um, it really wasn't until um, adolescence, you know, in, in high school that, you know, that began to change. And that's because that's when alcohol began to enter the picture. Yeah. And uh, when I think about it, it's, it's really kind of sad to see to see the change um, going from someone who was, you know, somewhat normal anyway, a good kid anyway, uh, to, you know, alcohol was, you know, like like for most of us, it was I used it because it kind of made me feel like I could open up with people. I could. It made me feel more comfortable, relaxed around people, um, you know. Uh, you know, reduce those inhibitions. But ultimately, even in the beginning of my drinking, it kind of shut me down and took me away from people. And uh, that happened kind of gradually over the years so that, you know, in my 20s, um, when my drinking was bad, like from like 21 to 25, um, I think I was pretty much a lone wolf. I mean, I, I, um, I knew people, um, I did drink in bars, but I was for the most part, I was most part alone, you know? So, um, and that's the way it was until I got into AA and it changed dramatically for me. I, I went to a group. It was an all men, men's group was my home group. And for whatever reason, there were a lot of people there that were my age, you know, people in their twenties and thirties. And, uh, we became great friends, you know, and we, so we started by going out to lunch, you know, after meetings or going to dinner and then we'd go to movies and we just hang out at each other's apartments or whatever, watch football games, just became really close friends. And, you know, not just doing activities together, but really getting to know each other. And I really felt like, you know, I had, I had a support network with these friends and I knew them not just in meetings, but outside of meetings, got to know their families and so forth. And that lasted for a good long time of my sobriety, um, that period of having these friendships. But for the most part, for like a 10-year period anyway, it was mostly um, strictly AA people as my friends. Which, yeah, I don't know how that, what, how that goes, but, you know, that's good or bad, but that's the way it was. Right. Yeah. Well, I recall in my drinking, pushing away the people who were um, more quality friends, um, because as I got worse, I, um, I either, you know, didn't want them to see me when I, you know, realized how bad it got or, um, or they just weren't as much fun. Um, because, you know, being around them while I was drinking made me feel bad. Um, 
for, you know, how I was drinking. Um, so I pushed them away and, um, and so developed, you know, friendships with uh, people who drank like I did. Um, and our, you know, and I remember coming into the rooms and a lot of us have heard, you know, you need to change your people, places and things. And, uh, and I've shared before that I changed the ringtone of all of my drinking friends to tainted love. So I know <laughs> if they called and, uh, and they never called. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, so getting into, um, into recovery, um, coming to the rooms and all of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I went to a lot of meetings and, um, and people said to, you know, to invite yourself to things. So I invited myself to things, um, to the coffee after the meeting or meeting after the meeting. Um, I also, um, when I did get a sponsor, um, she, she sponsored other people. And so some of, um, those women, uh, got in touch with me and invited me to things so that, you know, so that I was getting involved in the community at a deeper level um, and had somebody that, you know, that I could talk to who was kind of either gone through the steps the same way I did or in a similar way. Um, and, uh, you know, and since we, we, you know, I'm not part of the, <laughs> the belief system that's in AA, I guess, um, that was really helpful for me because, um, yeah, I could hang out with these people, but for a lot of them, they still, um, didn't think about the world in the same way I did, I guess. And so it still felt like there's a little bit of a, a veil, um, in between us or some sort of thing. So, um, but that's what I did. You know, I, I went to things. I went to the <laughs> the AA dances and uh, all of that. That's right. Stuff. I used to do that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, did all of that. Um, went to to the assemblies and um, different things that were put on um, by the local community, and um, and started to get to know people and personalities um, that way. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and then, you know, going through the steps, I started to see, um, you know, some of my behavior, some of the problems that I had with my friendships, you know, what, what my part of the street was on those things. Um, it didn't mean that I changed it right away because, you know, <laughs> it was something I had to learn how to do, like with, you know, um, setting boundaries, um, you know, before AA and even some in, once I got here, it was still, um, you know, either no boundaries or um, when I was doing the steps, I think a, a bunch of walls went up, you know, I built a built a fort. Um, and so, so yeah, so it was, it was uh, no in between. I was still doing the black and white thinking type of a thing um, and, uh, or the pendulum, you know, that went from one side to the other and, and uh, it took a while to get some, some middle ground on, um, on how to have a friendship and, uh, and what I needed to do. Um, so one of the things, um, I think it was about year three in, um, sobriety. I had made a friend. I was, I started dating a boy and, um, and, um, while we started to see each other, um, he was friends with this other person. And, um, and so her and I began a friendship at the same time. And so when the relationship didn't work out, her and I still remained friends. And, um, and at some point, like a year or so later, uh, we were having a conversation and she mentioned something about knowing him longer. And, um, and what my mind did was, you know, I heard that, you know, because she knows him longer, she's more loyal to him and, you know, it's a better friendship or some sort of thing that made me feel, you know, inferior. And so, um, so I, I talked to my, my sponsor about it and she had suggested the book that I've mentioned before here, um, the nonviolent communication. Um, and, uh, and so I, I tried a, a method in there of, um, talking to her my friend and saying, um, so when this, this conversation, you know, came up, um, however many days ago it was, um, what I heard was that you, you know, you valued so-and-so's friendship, um, more than mine because you've known him longer and, you know, and I felt hurt. Um, is that what you meant? And she's like, no, no, you know, I didn't, I don't even recall, you know, how I said it or anything like that. It was just kind of a off the hand thing that I, I thought of, you know, that popped into my mind. And, and so, yeah, so it was fine. You know, um, it took several days before I was able to have that conversation, you know, um, so I was upset and, you know, it's the end of our friendship and, you know, how dare she and blah, blah, blah for several days. Um, but then we had the conversation and we were able to, to move 
move on um, with that. And so now most of the time it doesn't take, you know, several days if, if there's something um, that comes up. Um, I can I can usually talk about it sooner um, once I'm done being reactive. But um, Brene Brown actually has, um, I, and I think we've mentioned it before, um, her shame um, video. I think you can just look up Brene Brown and and uh, and no blame. I think it's the blame one. Yeah, and uh, and so she uses the term, you know, um, what is it the. Um, the story I'm telling myself. And so using that as a way to talk to somebody when there's a disagreement or a problem or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, saying the story I'm telling myself about this conversation is that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the other person can clarify or confirm, you know, maybe it is blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you get to decide how to respond to that, you know? Um, so if it is the case that, you know, that they meant, you know, what they said and that it hurt your feelings and such, you can then, you know, say, you know, I'm, I may need some time to think about this a little bit and then you can reevaluate whether or not that's, you know, a, uh, a, maybe they have some truth in what they said, you know, and if you do like a 10 step inventory process or something, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a little bit of truth in that. Um, but, uh, but if not, you can, you know, decide if you need to kind of deprioritize the friendship is, uh, I guess what I've learned. That's a nice, nicer way to say that. Um, because a lot of these people and, and with a lot of friendships, you know, it's not like, um, I end them or, you know, anything like that. We're still basically friends. It's just, we don't spend as much time or I have, you know, I know the parameters of the friendship, which, you know, I never knew you could have or notice before. And I don't know if that's necessarily a thing of sobriety. I think part of it is because of the tools that I've learned to help me manage myself um, it helps me be able to notice in other people um, some behaviors and, and, and qualities either that I like or I would rather not be around. Um, but some of it might just be maturing yeah, as well. I think that's interesting know? that you pointed that out because I, you know, I, I've noticed the same for myself. It's like different stages of my life, depending upon what life event I had or where I'm at in my own life shapes the people that I'm around and my friendships. So I, it's like when I look back, especially during my recovery, the, the friends that I had, um, like the first 10 years were all the same people. And then, and grateful mentioned it. She's grateful said that the program friends are there when you lose a loved one and they are, but my world changed very much after 10 years of sobriety when my father died unexpectedly. And I made some changes in my life that had an impact on my friendships. And it's not that my friends weren't there for me. They were really there for me when my father died. It was, it was, and they, and for a long time, not just for a month or two, they were there for me, but I got on with life. I started going to school. Um, I started dating more. Um, so I began to have relationships with people outside of AA really for the first time since I was sober, you know, took that 10 year period of time. And I found that I really liked that. Um, I was learning a lot. I felt like I was, um, I don't know, I just, it was just a really kind of an exciting time. And so I was meeting a lot of different people, you know, and it was just kind of, it was kind of a nice time for me. Still attached to AA, but not, not doing everything with my AA friends like I was during that first 10 years of sobriety, you know? And it's just kind of, you know, it's not like they weren't my friends anymore. I'd still see them and so forth. It's just that we didn't have the same relationship that we had in those early days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, thinking about it and wondering about people who get um, sober later. Um, you know, if anybody is listening that would like to call in and share with us later in life, I guess <laughs> I should say later, it's, it's always the right time for you to get sober or, you know, whatever. But I meant, um, you know, and later in life, um, if, uh, if you see friendship differently or if it, it works, um, 
differently uh, as far as, you know, yeah, how, how you make friendships. Is it, is it you know, I, I would imagine that it might be a little more difficult because as you, you know, go on in life, you develop your, your patterns and it, it might be more difficult to, to change that. Um, but I, I think in the 20s and, and 30s, you know, I got sober in my early 30s, that, that there was still a lot of um, going around and doing stuff, you know. So my friends still wanted to go to concerts and, you know, still wanted to, you know, do road trips and things like that. And so it was, it was easy to make friendships in that group setting um, so that, uh, you know, yeah, you could get to know people better that way um, amongst a group of people instead of, you know, my, my more introverted self, <laughs> you know, um, does better on a one-on-one type of a thing where I'm just sitting there and, you know, and like talking with you, you know, um, when I'm just thinking that I'm talking with you and then maybe a couple of people that might call in. Um, but if I think, you know, that, there's more than that. Then I start to get nervous and, uh, and go into the, you know, whatever self-doubting type of a thing. Um, but yeah, doing it in, in the groups, going to places and being, you know, involved made sense because most of us were single. Most of us, you know, either didn't have kids or, you know, it was, it was a different situation. Um, and, um, and now, you know, um, some years, you know, later, um, I don't, I don't know that, uh, if I, you know, I don't run my friendships like that anymore. I don't do as much of that. My life has changed. My life circumstances have changed. Um, and I, I don't know if I would go about making friends in the, in the same way at the age that I am now. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. I'm totally with you. I, I would like in my twenties and thirties, that's the time when you're out doing all the social, social stuff. I got married when I was 45. And things really changed for me there with, with, with friends. And it was kind of interesting because it was like, I tried to hang on to my old friends and bring them into my new life and meet my wife and everything. And it just wasn't working. It was like, they just kind of, you know, I don't know what it is. I guess I was in that different phase of life and they were in different phase and we just, just kind of moved on, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, and now well, I didn't know that you, you mm-hmm. got sober, right? Got sober, got married at 45. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was 45. Maybe I was 44. People, I learned, learned <laughs> yeah. something new about I was in my forties. Yeah. My wife what? and I both, and it was our first, first time we were married. Um, and actually that really worked out well for us because we, um, we were pretty much comfortable living on our own, you know? Um, so, and being kind of independent, so that we weren't like necessarily having to be clingy to each other and have to insist on doing everything together and everything. We're both kind of introverts, but we're not really introverts when we're with, when we're with each other and we like doing things by ourselves. So like we'll go, you know, we like to go to plays and movies and, and things like that. And, but we don't necessarily do it. Like my wife mentioned, we don't have couples friends like other couples have. And I don't know why, I guess I've never, <laughs> just have never met any couples that, you know, she has, she has friends who are married and I have friends who are married, but for whatever reason, we just don't kind of get together as couples, I guess. Yeah. So. Well, see, there's a bonus to that. And that, you know, during the pandemic, you're not missing out on, you know, game nights or couples, friends activities, you know, you're just missing out on the regular activities. And uh, so one dimension that you don't have <laughs> any, any stress about. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But it is different when you're older, I think, you know, because you kind of get settled down a little bit, especially if you have kids and so forth. Now, I don't have kids. So that's not part of my my deal. But I, I think it's just more of just being, you know, like more stuck around my home and doing other activities with that my wife and I like to do together and, and doing things around the house and traveling and stuff like that. So, right. That but, makes sense. Yeah. So one of the things that somebody brought up um, at the, the meeting or that I guess it made me think of was, you know, how how do you you know, how do we um, look at friendships now? Um, you know, so I mentioned a little bit how I had had to change some of my um, behaviors and the way I, I approached uh, difficult situations um, with friends in sobriety. Um, but um, one of the things that, that I heard somebody mentioning was, you know, like, what if uh, you have a disagreement with your friend in recovery and, um, and like you do the work on it, you know, and uh, a, an inventory or some sort of thing and are ready to come back and take responsibility for your side of the street um, and your friend 
doesn't <laughs> or they or they've done something and uh, they take responsibility for something that you know you don't agree with you're like that's not what you're supposed to take responsibility for you know um you know how do how do you deal with that um you know what are your thoughts on that and and have you had friendships change in recovery because of of things like that i think uh, sometimes we talk about it as uh you know our friends oh, outside of recovery but uh, we don't don't necessarily talk about it within i have a feeling this might be fred let's see okay <laughs> we'll find yeah, out hello oh it is fred how are you hi John. hi angela i recognize hi, your phone number <laughs> What's up? Okay. What's up? Uh, I I wanted to share because I'm older, but not <laughs> not that I got not that I I I was 28 when I joined, and now I'm six now I'm 61. But I I think that uh, uh, friendships. Uh, I'm I, I'm a I'm a court ordered human animal individual uh i was i was i was married i have a daughter and uh uh you know it's a life is life is kind of interesting in some ways uh i had some friends in sobriety i had a sponsor for for over over uh, almost 30 years he acquired he acquired a cancer, and uh, his situation his situation uh, he 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 wasn't he wasn't able to sponsor me anymore. So so the oh I have a phone call coming on my other phone. It's okay, I'll get it later. Uh, so he he wasn't able to sponsor me anymore after that time, and he's older. So I had to let go. I had to let go, you know, and uh, uh, I can never forget all the things that I thought were good that I learned that were only data of knowledge of other people that I thought it was something good or important. And then when I found out who I really was and the world's the world's uh, ideas of what uh, stigmatisms are put on people in, who who had problems and who were in recovery and all the things that go with it. I was I was a uh, came to the resolution that uh, the ideas of other people sometimes are just cruel, uh, obnoxious. Their opinions are just their opinions. And then I found that they, a lot of things that I thought were, was a good, was a good learning in young life or young sobriety turned out only to be a fantasy of what I thought sobriety was going to be. Interesting. That's an and interesting, this, uh, interesting this, point. And this is what I think sobri- sobriety is. Sobriety, if you get it and can keep it, it's only in the future because the minute just went by a minute ago when I told you everything. So now now it's all in the future. And when it's, when they had that old Sanskrit that said, look to this day for all the verities of life, you know, you, know, I, you forget about Oh, uh, you forget about uh, Mr. Spencer, who was in the last part of the book, when he said, when he when he said that, uh, uh, you know, uh, contempt prior to investigation. But you know, he was he was uh, in the British Parliament and an atheist. So so it's kind of interesting. And also that Carl Jung, Carl Jung, that Carl Jung being an atheist, that Carl Jung being an atheist would 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 want to help somebody in recovery in the first place uh, and lead them to a path of belief. 
Fred, thank you for calling. I'm I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk to. I want to. I want to hit on something that you brought up about your about um, your sponsor and his and his friendship with you and how that changed. So, thank you for calling, Fred. Uh, you have a nice nice weekend. Okay. Thanks, Fred. Well. Sure, sure. Thank you so much Thanks, for calling. Sean. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you too. Have a good weekend. Take care, my friend. Bye bye. Yeah, he brought up a really interesting point there, you know, um, having a, a sponsor who is a friend. And he had, I, and I didn't ask him, but he had that situation where his sponsor had cancer and could no longer be his sponsor. And he had to, you know, Fred was talking about having to let that go. Well, I had, a, I had kind of a different situation, but I had a sponsor who I kind of thought was my friend. But when I left my home group, and 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 helped start the We Agnostics group. I never heard from him again. That was it. <laughs> yeah, it was totally it. You know, um, how long had you had the sponsorship relationship? Oh my god, like fifteen years. Oh wow, I know a long time. And you know, I thought you know he was somebody I always called if I had a problem or whatever. Now, interestingly enough. When I did sponsor him, he made a he made a comment, and I thought it was kind of a joke. But he says, "Don't ever become an atheist. If you become an atheist, I'm going to fire you." And he said that at a time when I was kind of be, kind of thinking I was an atheist, right? And then when I finally came out to the group and said I was an atheist, and I started this other group, you know, I kind of thought he might be kind of happy for me and come check the group out and all that stuff. But he didn't. But anyway, I kind of let it go too. I just, you know, it's like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I learned something from Joe C., who teaches me so much. He made a he said something when I was kind of thinking about the change of friendships that I had when I came out as an atheist. Um, he said that in AA, we have sort of a false sense of intimacy with people because we're sharing meetings at a pretty deep level and we have this feeling of connection and and maybe we have a, a sense of of feeling like we're family or friends when that maybe not be as real as we might imagine, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote something of that down, um, you know, um, as well. That was on my mind of, um, you know, that we, we share, um, you know, about our feelings in a way that we generally don't when we get together, um, with other friends, if we have other friends. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah. And so, um, it, you know, it's, we were vulnerable, um, it, you know, varying degrees of vulnerability, depending on, you know, what you share and, and who you share it with. Um, but yeah, it, it does create that, um, that, uh, sense of intimacy, whether it's real or not. Um, and so it feels like, uh, you know, you can talk about things within, uh, the meeting or with your friends in recovery that you, you might not um, be able to share um, in other places. Um, it also made me think about, you know, like uh, friendships, you know, um, valuing them, you know, are there like degrees of, of friendship, you know, um, is it, is it something like, you know, the love languages as well? Cause there's certain friends that I trust with certain fr- things or that I know can, you know, either, um, come through for me or, you know, or that I'm there for them. Like, you know, you have your friends that will help you move, um, you know, that will drop everything they're doing and, and help you, you know, move all your stuff, and, right. you know, as long as you provide, <laughs> provide pizza and, you know, soda or something. Yeah. Um, you know, but are those any, you know, less, uh, is it a less quality friendship than, than somebody that, you know, might be able to, you know, keep a secret or that you can disclose, you know, feelings to about a certain situation and, you know, and it's a vault, you know, they, they don't tell somebody, um, you know, maybe the people who move, that's the best way, um, that they show how they care about somebody is by the physically doing, um, you know, whereas somebody else is, is much better at, um, at just listening, uh, that kind of a thing. So, um, so I think, you know, yeah, that's one of the things that I learned in, or, you know, thought about this week and thinking about friendships is that, you know, that I have various, um, various levels of friendship, I guess. I mean, it's not like you, you know, one up if you do something nice and I'll, I'll move you to, you know, it's not like I have seven of them and, uh, you know, but it's just that, yeah, different friends that I talk to about different things. And, um, and I think it's been helpful for me 
because part of it is, uh, you know, that I can um, spread my my angst or frustration or whatever it is I'm going through, you know, over several different people. So I'm not just dumping it on one person <laughs> all the time, you know, which is kind of what we do in early sobriety with uh, our sponsors a lot of time is that's the main person who, you know, gets all of our stuff. And uh, yeah, and nowadays, um, uh, yeah, that's not what I do as much. I'm definitely much more. I dump on the entire community and and the world now that we have, you know, Zoom and YouTube. Uh, so Sonia was asking me, and I'm just going to answer very quickly, if I could elaborate about um, my wife and I living together, respecting each other's space. It, actually, it, was, it just came natural. We wanted to make sure when we bought our house that we bought a house that was big enough so that she could have her own um, little office room where she could have her privacy to go read or whatever. And I would have a little office room where I could do that. I mean, we have enough space where we can kind of get around and it was just kind of natural for us just because of our personalities, I think. And it's not like we're just totally separate, not doing anything together or anything like that, but we do, we do, we do have our space, you know, and we we're okay with that. It just kind of comes, comes naturally for us, I think. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I always thought that would be the way to go or like a duplex or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I worked in child support services, I often joked that, you know, my third husband and I would, you know, do the duplex thing. I've never been married. It was just something that I thought was funny. So, um, but yeah, having some space is, uh, you know, most of my friends, I think, um, try to do that or they as their kids grow up they you know each take a, a room that's their office or their craft room or whatever else and uh and it seems to be helpful joe says he's seldom make made friends he he's very much of a loner but his bonds have grown stronger in secular recovery he has uh one or two uh friends you know um something that's that changed for me in the 1990s is I started meeting people online. I got involved in AA people. I got involved with a um, email AA group. It was called New Beginnings. And if anyone's familiar with that, what they would do, maybe they're still, they still exist. They'd have New Beginnings groups. Like you'd have new NB1, NB2, and I was like in NB22. So that was like the 22nd New Beginnings group, right? So what we would do, we would have like meetings via email. And, and then in between the meeting topic, we would just kind of share about whatever was going on in our life. So like if somebody had a spouse die or whatever, she would, you know, write a, write an email and we'd just kind of bond that way. And it kind of felt like, you know, you, I was kind of having these connections with them. And then once a year, there would be a new beginnings, um, uh, conference where we'd all get together someplace. And I went to one in, um, um, Rhode Island. And had a wonderful time meeting the people. And then I went to another one in Akron. We went on the the AA tour in Akron and all that. And so, I don't know, it was kind of fun. But I started having these relationships with people online in the 90s. And that just kind of grew to where now it's like crazy. It's like half the people I know, if not more, are people that I interact with online. That's a different deal. You know, I, I, I feel like they're just friends like any other, you know, um, but um, and we do see each other occasionally, uh, maybe once every couple of years or whatever, but still. Um, and then Zoom. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, some of the friendships, you know, for me or friendship in general um, will change because of the pandemic. You know, I have noticed that, you know, there are certain friendships that um, are a little bit more distant since we became uh, since the pandemic started, even though we live in the same area, um, just because apparently our friendship was more based on seeing each other, you know, on a weekly basis or at certain meetings or, you know, going to coffee, you know, and and that's even for my friends outside of um, recovery, um, that just some of those friendships are are not um, as strong. We don't communicate as much um, because that was kind of, you know, the main thing that we did. Whereas I'm developing a lot of new friends um, since the pandemic all over the world because of Zoom and because of, because of this. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, have friends everywhere. Um, and it will, it'll be nice to, when we can get together, to actually meet these people. But, you know, some of them I'm, I'm sharing things with that, uh, that some of the friends that I've had for 20 years, you know, don't know um, about me or what's going on with me right now or, or things like that. And so, um, so it's an interesting, interesting time to 
uh, think about friendships and, um, and, uh, pontificate, (laughs) you know, on the meaning of friendship and, uh, and what's important right now. Yeah. So by the way, the phones are open. If you'd like to call in, it's 844-899-8278. Feel free to call in and uh, share your experience with friendship, uh, before you got sober, uh, during sobriety, uh, any, any thoughts you might have on the topic at all, please, please do uh, call in. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that just came to my mind on, um, Oh, we do have a caller. Someone called. (laughs) How about that? Well, hello. I asked for calls and someone called. How are you? Oh, fine. Fine. How are you? I'm doing all right. Good. My name is Dennis. I'm, uh, from Tucson, Arizona. Oh, hey, Dennis. And, Hi, Dennis. Uh, first time, yeah, first time uh, finding it. Well, I found this a couple of days ago. First time coming into one of your uh, webinars there. Actually, went to my first online uh, secular AA meeting today, and this one was hosted out of the uh, northern part of my state a little bit, up in uh, Camp Verde, called Cottonwood, and I really enjoyed myself. And, uh, yeah, today, I mean, it's kind of funny listening uh, not funny, but I can relate to what you're saying. Uh, I actually had a breakup today with my uh, sponsor. I don't know how else to call I always hated the term, you know, uh, firing or I was fired. I don't know the term breakup, but uh, after a couple of weeks, now I've been in IOP for six months, and I have a wonderful therapist and a wonderful group. He's allowing us to stay in as long as we want to the COVID. And uh, I'm a retired nurse. I do higher in February because of uh, some respiratory issues I've had for many years. So I've been a nurse for whatever, like 38 years, same with my wife. And listening to this, is really it really struck home. And so today I politely called up uh, my sponsor and I explained to him what has been going on in my mind, that I felt concerned that I was being... I felt like I had to accept someone else's beliefs. I know everyone's heard this before, while giving up my own. And that was the truth. That's what happened before when I was in AA. I felt like I was lying to myself, and I don't know what's worse, lying about drinking to someone or lying to myself about my actual values and beliefs. So, anywho, I really enjoyed this. I've been trying to find everything you can online, and I saw Josie's book, and he asked me want to order that. And I'm uh, going to a lot of different groups. In fact, I found one on Facebook a couple days ago, and maybe someone in the audience, maybe you guys even know, I was supposed to send a web link on Facebook to someone by the name of Hal Destiny, and they'd let me into their secret room. <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. You know, Facebook killed oh, Hap. Okay. See, I didn't know. Thank yeah, you. Facebook killed Hap Destiny, unfortunately. Hap Destiny was like a, 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 a fake profile that I invented to let people into the AA Beyond Belief Facebook group, <laughs> because at the time you had to do that. <laughs> and uh but but that yeah, but they facebook killed uh, him you know me i was still waiting for the mail just like that poor old guy saying they never call me yeah. Uh, oh. yeah i really enjoy this and i'm in a group of iop right now with about 10 of us and i would say probably almost 10 of us or at least eight of us all are having concerns with AA. In fact, my therapist, he told me today when a few months ago, I was like, yeah, I'm born again. I'll go for this AA. And then after a while, I just, I felt I was lying to myself. And I told him that a few days ago and he looked at me and he goes, well, that's good. Now you're really showing some more growth. He says, keep up the good work. And so anyway, uh, thanks everyone for the support and listening to this and I'm out here too, so you'll see me around. My name is Dennis from Tucson, so thank you. Hey, Dennis, thank you. And you know what? You can join our group, our Facebook group. Just just um, type in AA Beyond Belief um, in the search in Facebook, and you'll find the group. And all you have to do is request to join, and, and I'll let you in. It's easy, a lot easier now. Okay, cool. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you that Hal Destiny sent me, so you know who it was. So. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. What the hell? Oh, by the way, and when your friend was talking about argumentation and saying, is this what I heard you tell me? And Oh, my God, I used to teach that in communications 40 years ago (laughs) when I decided I want to be a speech communications major. So we all discover new things every day, just like I discovered 
beyond belief just this week. So once again, thanks everyone. Thank you. Appreciate the call. <laughs> Hal Destiny. Hap. Hap Destiny. Hap Destiny. Yeah, like in Happy Destiny. Hap was his name. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. you know how uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. So that's you, that's funny. You know how so Dim, instead um, of a friend of Bill and Bob, you'll be like, "Are you a friend of Hap?" Yeah, Eric has um for in Eric from uh, Michigan. He who does he use? He, he has a little uh, guy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mishy, 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 whatever. Yeah. So anyway, so he created that because that's what you needed to have something like that. You need to have like this fake profile so that people could send you a friend request because you don't only had friends anyway they've changed that so david our phone number is 844-899-8278 it is scrolling across the screen i think if you're on facebook you can see it so he was wanting to find out where that was and uh there you go so give us a call david and david i feel bad i still i I am so far behind on posting podcasts for those people who have spoken with me and took the time to do the interviews on the podcast i am so sorry i haven't posted those yet i don't know what my problem is i think i've learned that doing a live stream and the podcast at the same time it takes more time than i than i ever imagined so anyway i'm going to get caught up on those i think i'm going to really put the nose to the grindstone this weekend and get those out Every once in a while, I'll see someone I did a podcast with, and I begin, and I start feeling guilty because it's like, oh my god, I haven't posted that yet. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so where are we with the friendship thing? We were talking about online stuff a little bit. Um, the I'm, friendships online. I'm not sure, but um, but I you sent me an email today um, that I um, just like before the show started um, from uh, somebody that I I met in um, one of the online meetings, um, and, uh, and, um, and Harry, and she, um, wanted to check in on me. And, and so I, um, I thought I would share with, uh, people that I kind of had a rough week. Um, there was some stuff. My sister was in the hospital in the emergency room. And, and when I found out about it, um, I was pretty hysterical cause she was alone and, um, and crying and, you know, we can't be there because of COVID. Um, and so I, um, I, I really was hysterical and, and couldn't breathe and was sobbing, um, because of, you know, how, how sad that made me and how hopeless and helpless it made me. And so, you know, I was fortunate that there was a a sober she devils meeting, like right about when I found out. And so I logged into that and I, I, um, I listened and it helped me calm down a little bit for a while. Um, listening to other people, you know, talk about their stuff. Um, and then I shared towards the end of, you know, what's, what was really going on with me and, you know, and I sobbed and I rocked back and forth and it wasn't pretty. Um, so so, um, uh, but, you know, I did it because that's what I learned to do is that, you know, when, when, you know, well, even when good stuff, but particularly when rough stuff happens, I, I go to a meeting and I talk to people in recovery, um, who, um, who, you know, whether it's a false sense of intimacy or not, they, I feel like they know me or they can, they can handle the depth of feeling. I guess maybe that's it, that sometimes I feel like the people, some of my friends outside of recovery can't necessarily handle the intense emotions that, uh, that I think a lot of us um, still show um, that, that pour out. And so I felt like, uh, you know, these people could handle that. And, um, and so that's another kind of friendship that I, I thought of, you know, that, uh, that Harry was reaching out to you because she didn't know how to get a hold of me to find out how I was. And, um, and so, you know, I'll get back to her. So if you're listening, Harry, um, I'll, I'll get back to you. On that but that's you know another way that um that friendship is showing up for me um in sobriety right now um that uh, that is different than you know than it has been prior to covid you know when, I, when you posted that the my, my first thought was that she had covid and i'm glad that she doesn't uh, that must yeah, have been that's, the immediate that's fear. what we thought too because um but what happened was she had a sudden coughing fit and um and then passed out and so they um they called the ambulance arrested her to the emergency room and uh and found that her heart was in um in atrial fib and they uh, you know they couldn't like shock her you know back into um into alignment like she's a car <laughs> um, 
but uh, because they didn't know another thing that's coming out or, you know, that some people know is, uh, is with blood clots and stuff. So they didn't know if it was a, a blood clot. They didn't know if she had an aneurysm. They had to wait on all of that. And then they had to wait four hours um, for the COVID test to find out if it was positive or negative. And fortunately for my sister, it was negative. And then they were able to, to, you know, do some other things and then monitor her. And so she is home and she's, she's okay. Um, but yeah, for, for four hours, you know, we didn't know, you know, what was going on or, you know, and it was just really, really a difficult, a difficult feeling to have a loved one, you know, in the hospital with or without COVID right now, because you can't be there with them. And, and, uh, you know, that's one of the the things that I, I learned in sobriety is is just being with somebody, um, being a presence there sometimes is all someone needs to to get through something. And uh, and I couldn't provide that for my sister. So That's one of the that saddest really things hard. about COVID is that uh, loved one, people can't be with their loved ones when they're sick or when, when they're passing away and all of that. It's very, very sad. Very, very sad. But I'm glad that she's out of the hospital and doing better. That's good. Joe, Joe was asking Angela if, if he wants to hear some of the questions that we had from last week, but I don't remember it's but like a week ago. I can't remember what any, do you remember any questions that we didn't get to last, last week? Oh yeah. You had questions. I did. Yes. <laughs> what yes. Were so I, I think that, yeah, that, you know, it was, um, when we were talking, you know, kind oh. of the questions, um, show. So yeah, you had like, you know, 20 something questions. Oh my I'm God. Like, yeah. I yeah. guess I do have some of those. Do you want me to ask some of them? Maybe um, we could make this like every other week. I could ask a question or two. Um, I, do, I do have quite a few out here, I guess. Okay. Let's see here, Joe. Um, oh, wait, wait. One yes. more thing before you ask yes. a question. So it'll be like the last 10 minutes you can ask yeah. a question. Okay. All right. <laughs> like how I take over John's show. Um, but uh, the one thing I wanted to share is that at my home group, I, I shared, you know, the situation and what, what was happening, you know, the day after. Um, and we have a lot of healthcare providers um, in that meeting and one of them shared that she is you know a nurse and she is one of the people that is holding people's hands um, because their loved ones can't and so um, you know to keep that in mind that there are people there that you know they're doing the best they can and they are holding your loved one's hand and and trying to comfort them the best they can and and so that was helpful to remind me that you know it's not just people in you know these gigantic plastic suits um, that it's actually people you know trying to help other people and and um and so that was important to me yeah okay question um (laughs) this is one of the 20 questions i wrote uh this one is how do you feel about aa business meetings angela oh my gosh really (laughs) Uh, uh, um (laughs) um I think they're important. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's important to, you know, have them to talk about, uh, you know, things with your group as far as uh, policies, procedures, you know, whether written or just, you know, spoken, unspoken, that kind of thing. Um, and to be a part of, you know, the general community um, so that you do have a voice uh, to be heard, you know, within um the recovery community so that if policies are being made or, you know, decisions, things like that, that, um, that the atheist, agnostic, free thinker, whatever, um, you know, group has a a say in those things. So, you know, I, I think they're important. I think that, uh, that they're difficult for me. Um, you know, the whole, um, working with others (laughs) kind of thing. Um, I was, I was, you know, I, I didn't enjoy group projects, uh, in school. And sometimes that's what it feels like is a a group project. And, uh, and that some of the people are doing all of the the heavy lifting and, and some of them, you know, just show up and, and stuff like that. And so, um, so yeah, I find them, I find them difficult. I find that, you know, I'm not a good person to be on a, on a board. Um, you know, I, I found that out several years ago and then I, I verified that in the last uh, couple of years. So, you know, got, got that down in my mind now, not a very good person to be on a, 
a board of directors. Um, and, and so, and so, yeah, so business meetings, yeah, like I said, I, I think that they're, they serve a purpose. I understand what their purpose is. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it can be difficult because you have a bunch of people there in recovery trying to, you know, decide things and going through the different stuff that's in, important to go through like when you get a tiny sense of power you know what do you do with it and uh you know and sometimes people have to go through you know a big thing in order to come back to a level place so you know i, I think they're important but uh they they are not my favorite thing you know regardless of the level of the business meeting whether it's uh, just your group or a district or you know anything else oh um, i hate them i hate them i hate them um but I, i've never had since well I, I've only had one really bad one, and it was my old home group when when we had the civil war about smoking. That, <laughs> it, I swear to God, that was one time where I mean, someone attacked me. I mean, they were ready to, to wow. beat, beat me up because I was on the non-smoking side and he was on the smoking side. That was kind of crazy, but yeah. otherwise, yeah. I'm just kind of nervous, you know, about mm-hmm. it because it's just like you know. It's like people are expressing their opinions and what they want. And it's like, uh, but I, I, the group has been really good about always compromising, you know? So like if, if like, um, if it's like a 60, 40 type split or whatever, there's always going to be a compromise, you know? So it seems to always work out pretty well. So it's, I don't, I'm always nervous, but again, I'm glad to see that the group can function and respect each other and they it seems to go okay. But since we've been meeting online, I don't know if we've had a business meeting yet. I've, I've gotten kind of, kind of drifted away from the group a little bit since, um, Oh gosh, for quite a while, not going to the online meetings. Like I, like I was in the beginning of this thing. So. Right. Yeah. Well, you've had a lot of stuff that you're, you're doing as well. I think I'd chalk it up to the recovery capital type of a thing, uh, rather than just, you know, like, you know, yeah, that uh, that I'm not going to as many meetings as I should. That you know, you're doing other things in in sobriety, in recovery. You're you're doing this podcast. You're you're um you know you have that website. That you website. Have the, the I'm, I'm doing the Saturday meetings. Like Still going to those for the yeah. not the not for my home group, but for the right. other one. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, so you're building recovery capital. I mean, you know, that's uh, one of the things of a healthy group is if you know you know they're going on with, without you. And and uh, so should be okay. So, just anyway, as they mandate all dogma to be read before their meetings, <laughs> it takes twenty minutes before the meetings get started. Uh. Yeah, it, it could be like previews, you know. So for those meetings, yeah, um, our our home group doesn't have a huge thing. We do like a you know a, a bit of a preamble type stuff, um, but we're since we've gone online, we don't read anything. Um, even before we never like read, uh, how it works or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I do run a meeting for my sponsor. Um, that's a traditional newcomers women's meeting, um, that they do. And yeah, and it does take a long time. They read how it works and then they read the 12 traditions. And then at the end they read the promises. And so whoever's leading has to remember to ask people to do that. And if they don't, then it takes, you know, a certain amount of time time for people somebody to look it up and <laughs> and so it seems like you get maybe 15 minutes of sharing um in there so yeah maybe we can do it like movie previews if if a group really needs to read a bunch of stuff or wants to you know you you show up uh, 10 to 15 minutes early and read all of that stuff and then do the meeting for the hour <laughs> that's my recommendation yeah so. Well, it's been an interesting conversation about friendships. Um, I think that you and I have kind of see things like pretty similarly and have had similar experiences pretty for the most part. Um, I find it interesting that you had uh, that you moved a lot as a kid. I, I think that that really has an imp- a lasting impact on somebody, you know, um, throughout their life. It's like it can be good or bad. I, I can see both with me. You know, I can um, like one thing about friendships. It's kind of easy for me just to kind of move on from a friendship too, you know, because I had that experience growing up as a kid. We had move away. They're, they're gone. They're gone. I just move on different, different, you know, thing. So I have that ability to do that. And that's, I don't know that that could be good or bad, you know? Um, but, and then on the good side, I, I, I'm usually able to just to go ahead and make friends fairly easily. I think, you know, for, for an, an introverted person anyway. So it's kind of interesting that you had that experience too. 
And then that you also sought your friends from church. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how you became I, kind of religious after a while, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, it, it wasn't. I mean, that. I mean, I got some of that, but I got a lot of different denominations and stuff. Um, but when I became um, religious, when I became uh, specifically United Methodist, was after a group from the United Methodist Church helped my family when we were in crisis and, and nobody in, you know, who came to help us, it was just something that they did. They would like kind of adopt a, a family um, ever told us that we had to come to church or we needed to read any literature or, you know, do anything at all. They just helped us. And so, you know, my mom said, Hey, you know, maybe we should check them out because they aren't, uh, you know, trying to convert us, you know, it made us interested in what these people, People were, you know, were doing because they're, you know, just being nice people. And that was kind of, you know, what uh, what got us sucked in. And so I learned about things there and and, you know, became got baptized, did the whole thing and uh, and then was going to go to to seminary uh, when I graduated. And uh, yeah, that that dang uh, learning <laughs> history stuff, it's, you know, really gets in the way of your your career as a minister. Um, so, yeah. James has 30 days today. James C. Congratulations, Congratulations James. James. How about that? Nice that That's nice that awesome. you could join us here on your 30 day of uh, 30th day of sobriety. So yeah. glad to have you here. Very cool. Well, we've reached an hour. How about that? So cool. that's Hopefully another. It was helpful. <laughs> I hope so. It was. It was. It was for me anyway. Yeah, it's, I enjoyed uh, it. Probably by my best meeting of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent recovery capital building. Yep. So that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you would like to help out our site and podcast, you can do that in a couple of ways. Go on over to Patreon and become a patron of AA Beyond Belief at patreon.com slash AA Beyond Belief. Or you can contribute through PayPal at paypal.me slash AA Beyond Belief. Or just go to our website, click on the donate button. But like always, good God, these are good God. If you need- <laughs> These are tough times. If you don't have the money, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week for another sober distancing episode of AA Beyond Belief. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.